Thank you so much, Tiffany. If you want to take your Bibles, please, and turn to First uh, Timothy in chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. I think in the scripture tonight we see that that the word ties in both of our major themes this morning. What we talked about living in this world today, and also world hunger. We're going to see both those themes tied in today. You know, as I look out and I see the various age groups of people. Um, I'm in my sixth, I'm approaching my sixth full decade. I'll be, gosh, I can't really want to say this. I'll be 60 in a couple of years. That just blows my mind. Okay. And some of you are a lot earlier on in your decades. Um, and, and, and some of you, some of you are approaching like your eighth and ninth decade of time. And perhaps particularly in your era, there was a time when, when, you know, in the 50s, you know, America was largely a godly nation. Um, uh, in the 50s, it, the Jehudah Christian values that we enjoy, um, they really were just taught in schools. They were embraced in schools. They were embraced in the courts. Society embraced them. It was a good time. And perhaps in those times, perhaps in those times, perhaps in those times, those were days um, when you could kind of just sit back. These are not those times. These are not those times. If there was a time when we as believers need to be sold out, if there were, if there were ever a time that we need to be passionate, if there's ever a time we need to know why we stand on what we stand and who we serve, these are those days. And so what we have tonight now tying in with this morning's message from the same book. And you remember, you remember, uh, Timothy was a young pastor, okay, who was pastoring the church at? Ephesus, which was a Roman, a strong Roman city, okay, and, and he was getting instructions on how to be the pastor he needed to be. Paul now, in chapter 6, gives him some personal instructions on how to live and how to pastor and the man that he needs to be. And let's see how God will tie that into our lives. Because I, I spent the afternoon with my, my sister, um, her and her husband had drove up to St. Louis with a group of friends and stopped by and we went to Marion and, and met them. We talked about America and we talked about the message this morning and some different things. And guys, these are really critical times. These are such critical times. We're discussing just how critical they are. And so tonight, as you listen to the Word of God, let it challenge you on how you should be living um, in the days that we find ourselves. Okay? So 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 11. We start out with two words, and it's kind of like the therefore thing. It forces us to look back. Okay? And these two words are, but you. But you. So, so there must be a contrast, unlike whoever was preceded before Timothy's to be different. Okay? If you'll look at verse number 10, you'll see that, that contrast. Now... This is funny because in this scripture, we have a sandwich of teaching on money, teaching on money, and things in the middle. We're not going to hit the first money teaching, but we'll hit the second one, all right? But look what he says in verse 10. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which, because of love of money, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So Paul is contrasting what he, what he thinks Timothy needs to do and to live, how he should live, in contrast with these that were pulled aside by the love of money. Now, I will make no apologies for the fact that we live in the, one of the greatest countries uh, on the world. And economically, we live in one of the greatest countries in the world. And the temptation is very, very, very strong for us to gather in our wealth and to possess it, to own it, and spend it on our Sells. 
And in so doing, you know, greediness and covetousness goes hand in hand. And, and when that happens, all right, we are tempted and we will pierce ourselves through with many sorrows as we have a tendency to put our faith and trust in material things instead of faith and trust in the things of God. This concerned Paul about Timothy because he lived in Ephesus, a very wealthy city, a very prominent city. It concerned Paul that Timothy, as a young pastor, might be tempted to follow what he saw. And so he says, but you, and he says it, O man of God. O man of God. Now, let me say this. Obviously, Paul is writing to Timothy as a pastor. Okay? I understand that. But I also understand that we can take this scripture and still be true to the scripture and say this. Oh, you believers in Jesus Christ. Because Timothy was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who happened to be a pastor. But I truly believe that, that, that God would have us say to each one of us, Oh, you believers in Jesus Christ. And here's why that's important. Paul realized that Timothy needed to know who he was. The best way to avert temptation, Timothy, is to know who you are. And Timothy, you are a man of God. And tonight, brothers and sisters, the strongest thing I could say to you and to help you in living in these days is to understand who you are. You are a child of Almighty God. You are a blood-bought Wonderful creation of God that God loved so much that He allowed His Son, sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a creation of God worthy of the death of the Son of God. God loved you that much. And now, as a child of God, and now as a child of God, understanding who you are will affect the way you live. I wrote this down. You are what you believe you are. You are what you believe you are. And really not, and, and that's almost a flawed statement in the sense that, that, that who we believe we are impacts how we live, is what I'm trying to say. If we, if we associate ourselves and say that we're more of the world, we're going to live worldly. But if we understand that we are children of God and blood bought by God and our first priority is God, then we're going to live like people of God. Amen? And that's what we've got to do. That's what we got to do. We have to have our focus on who we are as believers. So he says this, But you, O man of God, you child of God, run from these things. Now, what things? The things he just read about. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He says, child of God, man of God, you are to run, you are to, to flee from those kind of things. Listen, there's a time when it's right to run. When, when we are facing temptation, run. When we find ourselves in situations where Satan has us in, in his sights, we need to learn to run. There's a time when running is appropriate. And so he says, oh, man of God, run from these things. But not just run. I mean, you know, have you ever seen, have you ever done quail hunting? You know what? It's really funny. When I, before, in my earlier years, I used to fish and quail hunt. And I haven't picked up a hook in a long time. And I certainly haven't shot a gun in a long time. But, you know, you go out and you've got this bird dog. And the bird dog will, will you know, he'll go along he'll smell, you know, like. And then, then he'll go on point. You know? And what you know is, is that there's a quail there somewhere. Okay? And then what you do is, is you slowly creep up on the dog in the area, and sometimes you have to kick, even kick. You're trying 
to bust the covey. So there's, sometimes there's one, but often there are multiple quail um, in that pile or in that bush or wherever, and you want to bust the covey. And when you bust the covey, you know how geese fly in formation? These puppies don't do that. When you bust the covey, they go, and they go in all directions. Paul's not saying, run like a covey of quail that's been busted. He wants us to run in a particular direction. He says, run from these things and pursue righteousness. He says, don't just run from evil, run toward God. Don't just run from what is wrong. Run toward what is right. Don't run from what is just just run from what is dark. Run toward the light. Pursue these things, he says. Pursue. And by the way, it's really cool. The same intensity run from and pursue, the same intensity is there. As hard as you're running away, run toward. Run toward. And he says, pursue righteousness, right living. Pursue what this book says. It's the way we ought to live. And and, and again, with the Greek context, pursue it aggressively. Don't do it halfway. You know and I know that if you want to lose weight or you want to get in shape, you've got to pursue it aggressively. If you half attack these things, you know it doesn't work. You've got to have that switch click in your head and you've got to go after aggressively. He said pursue right living. Pursue godliness. The things, the things that God is passionate about, we are pursuing those things. And the things that God counts as evil, we're running from those things. He said pursue godliness. Faith. Um, pursue love, pursue endurance and gentleness. Now, here's what, here's what I want you to get. The love of money is a temporal thing. Money is a temporal thing. Would you say amen to that? It's here. It's here. Money is a temporal thing. He says, run away from the temporal things and pursue that which is eternal. Live like people with another citizenship. Live with people that know their citizenship is not here. It's in a place that is called heaven. So he says, we should be a people not flying in any direction, but focused after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then he says this, fight the good fight. There are fights to fight. Amen? There are good fights. The word fight there is interesting. It can mean one of two things or both things. First off, it can be an athletic term. In other words, if an athlete is competing in a contest, he is to aggressively pursue that. You know, it's kind of weird that a Baptist preacher is a Notre Dame fan, but I are. I just love the rich tradition of Notre Dame. And yesterday we watched this game, and, and I, I, I was off and on the game. You know, it's hard for me to sit down for a couple hours. You know, I'm, I'm doing something. But, but I kept popping in and out, and, and they were playing Stanford uh, with one of their arch rivals. Um, if I understand it right, the, the coach, uh, the Notre Dame coach had never beaten Stanford before. And he said, we've got to beat Stanford. Do whatever it takes to beat Stanford. And, and so they, they, at the end of regulation time, it was 13 to 13. Okay, so they went into overtime. And the way they do overtime is, is that they flip a coin and one gets the choice of the ball or not. One gets the choice of what goal to, to, to play toward. And they put them on like the 25 or 30 yard line. And the goal is you've got to strive and try to make some points. And then the other team gets a shot. And if, if you get points and they don't, then you win. And if they both get points, then 
you do it again, okay? So, Notre Dame goes down there, boy, they did their thing, you know, they, they tossed the ball and stuff. And man, the guy, it really wasn't a good, good throw, but it was a great catch. He scooped that ball up in the end zone, and everybody went crazy, yay, yay, yay! You know, and then Stanford gets their shot. So they get on the 30 yard line, and I mean, they had this guy named Taylor. And this guy was a bull. I mean, he was really strong. And so Stanford moves right down to the five-yard line. And they go to this guy, and he takes it down to the one-yard line. And then for two, no, no, two-yard line, then the one-yard line. For two downs now, all Stanford has to do is move that ball just one yard, okay? And then they go into overtime again. The first run, bam, hits the wall. The second run, he gave it everything he had, but the bottom line is, he didn't score. He didn't score. Notre Dame won the game because of a steadfast defense. Whatever it took, they stood their ground. Brothers and sisters, whatever it takes, we must stand our ground. Satan will throw everything he's got, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 1 John 4.4. 4. Amen? So, so we've got to fight that fight. But it's also a military term. And it's quite interesting because in chapter 1, verse 18, the exact same uh, Greek word is translated in a military way. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by then you may wage the good warfare. Same exact Greek word. That when you do battle, do it with everything you've got. So whether it's athletics or military, hey, Timothy, fight the good fight. Hey, brothers and sisters, fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold. I wrote down enjoy, embrace embrace the eternal life that you have been called to have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, whatever it takes, take hold, enjoy, embrace, live passionately the life you've been called to live. You know, in, in next week, there are going to be a lot of purple and white people. You're going to wear your purple and white, right? Okay, okay. So, so, but do you know there are Bulldog fans and there are Bulldog fans? There, there are Bulldog fans that if the team's winning or if it's convenient or whatever, they'll support the team. And then there's those crazy people that went out on homecoming night when it was pouring down rain and cold and ucky and still went to the ball game. True. There are Cub fans and there's Cub fans, Ken, as you know. There just are. There just are. Okay, now, now here's the deal. Here's the deal. God is calling us to be passionate Fans of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, not part-time, not haphazard fans of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, be passionate about. Now, guess who the most passionate fans are? Parents. Grandmas and grandpas, yeah. Aunts, yeah. But when you've got someone on the field of battle, you're passionate. Live with that passion. Live with that passion. Because I want to tell you again, what we do as believers is going to pack the world of our grandchildren and our children. If this thing, if, if this thing continues to slide and fall apart, don't let any of the blood rest on our feet that on our watch we let America go godless. That we let God down in America. Let's be 
a godly, godly people. Verse 13, 14. In the presence of God, who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you. This is, this is probably the second strongest charge that, that Paul gives Timothy. And he references back to that, that challenge, that time when, when Christ was before Pontius Pilate. Now here Pontius Pilate was, was again, was, was the governor. He had all his power, he thinks, and all his authority. And Jesus just confronts him with it. I love it when he said, you know, like I said this morning, Pilate says, don't you know I have authority to let you live or to die? He goes, no, you've got no authority unless it's given to you. None whatsoever. Christ had a good confession. Just like Christ had a good confession, so we should have a good confession. He says, I charge you to keep. I charge you to guard the command. What's the command? Not the command. It's not one. It's the word. It's what, it's, it's what, it's how God's word plays out in the life of the believer. We are to guard the command without fault or without failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stephanie, or Stephanie, Tiffany, when you sang your song and you had the words, don't quit. Guess what I've written down my page? Don't quit. Don't quit. No matter how dark it seems to get, no matter how discouraging it seems to get, we must not quit. We must keep going until Christ calls us home or Christ comes back. Come on now, amen? amen. We've got to be passionate. You can't, you can't win a football game in three quarters. You can't. I mean, I'm saying, I think it was the Dallas Cowboys back in their heyday, they would hold up four fingers in front of their eyes, just like this, because you've got to play four quarters. The game's not over until the ref blows the whistle and the final seconds ticked off the clock. These are not days to sit back. Hey, these are not days for you senior adults to say, let the young people do it. These are not days. We need every single person who's breathing. No, no, no. God needs every single person who knows Jesus Christ to be passionate in these days. Passionate in these days. Now watch this, verse 15 to 16. God will bring this about. That's a fact. What? Bring what about? The appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back. There's a buzzer in heaven. In theory, there's a buzzer in heaven. And one day, God's going to hit the buzzer. And He's going to look to the sun and say, Son, go get your children. I don't know when, but that day, Laverne, that day's coming. That day is coming. That is not in doubt. The outcome of the game is sealed. And by the way, can I just give you another pause? We, I don't know what we had to do. We had to do something. Um, maybe go out and start a fire. We're going to roast some weenies on, on the grill or something. You know, it may have been that. So what I did was... I, I record. I got one of those DVR things, and I recorded. Okay, the end of the game. Now, when I got there, I heard them cheering, and by the time I walked back in the house, I heard them cheering. Da 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 da. And I knew they had scored a touchdown, and they had won the game. So, so I went back outside. We did the weenie thing and sit around and, and you know husband wife thing and talking and chatting. And finally, I said, well, let's go back inside, and I rewound the DVR. Okay. Back to the point where I'd gone outside. And when I saw how Stanford was moving that ball, you know, Notre Dame had already scored. When I saw how Notre Dame was, uh, Stanford was moving that ball down the field, I'm going, oh no! And I knew the outcome of the game. I knew the final score was 20 to 13, but I'm going, whoa, stop him, stop him! Why do we live as if we're going to lose when it's not a possibility? We know the final score of the game. Jesus wins. 
Nothing in, in Satan's arsenal can change that. In fact, may I be very personal? We win. We win because we belong to Him. So, He is coming back. God will bring this about in His own time. And then Paul breaks into this great doxology. He is the blessed and only sovereign. Love that word. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. The only God who has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light describing His holiness. No one has seen or can see Him. To Him be honor and eternal might. Amen. And with those words, I simply say this. Remember who you serve. Remember who you serve. You serve the unapproachably holy, awesome, powerful God who loves you. Yo, He loves you. Amen? How powerful is that? Then, he moves into verses 17 through 19, that second part about money. Okay? Because one of the greatest temptations we have in America is funds. Um, it's so funny. You know, many of us will give our time and in different areas, our talents and our abilities. But for some reason, money sometimes seems to have a hold on a whole lot of Believers, it's one of the difficult things. I'll never forget, I remember a, a cartoon I saw one time of a guy being baptized, and as the pastor puts him under, you see his hand sticking up with a wallet in it. You know, I, I just kind of wonder, you know, if, if somehow that's the way it, it seems like it is. And, you know, you know like, you know, when, we, when God says, you know, you know, this is what you need to do financially. And by the way, the Bible is a wonderful book in financial planning. It really is. And God, and, and, and the dates um, preceding the law, and of course in the law, and even in Christ Jesus talks about what we should give and how we should give, tithing. And, and you know, it, it's, it's, it's all of those things. And it's something that God says, trust me with. But we sometimes, we want to say, what else you got, preach? You know, what else you got, God? Okay? So here what he says. Now instruct those, and this is a young pastor, instruct those who are rich. And I... I didn't have the time I wanted to look. I looked at my illustration file. I didn't see it. But the bottom line is this. We are an incredible... Because you say, you know, instruct those who are rich. Well, who are the rich? Well, I got... By the way, rich is on sale. When I, when I mentioned these numbers, like a year ago or a year and a half ago, people said that the threshold of happiness and wealth was $75,000. That people that made $75,000 a year were content. It's on sale now. We believe it's dropped to $50,000. So if you make $50,000 a year, you're supposed to be happy. But then I read another website that said if you make $50,000, guess what? You're lower middle class. Middle class. That was encouraging. So anyway, so but here you go. You know, there's all these numbers, but the bottom line is, if, let's say you make $50,000 a year, okay, combined incomes in your household. You're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Of all the people in the world, you're in the top 1%. In fact, I did this. I did, went to a website. If you make $50,000 a year, there are only 59,029,288 people more wealthy than you out of 6 billion. That's pretty incredible, isn't it, Shirley? If you make $50,000 a year, only 59,029,288 people are more wealthy than you are. So anyway, the bottom line is this. Everyone in this room, we're all far wealthier when you compare our wealth to the world. So, so this scripture is for all of us. This is one of those points we want to say, yeah, but you're talking about so-and-so. No, I think it's all of us. Okay, so instruct those who are rich in this present age, and they were living in, not to be arrogant. Now, that's a great danger. 
Okay? Probably the reason we have a tendency to want to cling to our wealth is because, well, one, I, I think we wrestle with trusting God, but two is, it's, it's mine. It's mine. I told you, I have this little account that I put funeral money and stuff in. It's mine, Judy. It's not the budgets. It's mine. And we, we want mine, you know? I love that scene in, in, in looking for our Finding Nemo, where all the goals see Nemo and go, mine, 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 you know? That's, it's kind of the, the, you know? That's kind of the approach that we have sometimes. But there's a great scripture back in Deuteronomy, and I'll, I'll read quickly, okay? It's not that long, but I just, I, I read it out loud, and I read it in my office, and I said out loud, God, this is a great scripture. Look at verse number Deuteronomy 8:11. If you want to turn, I'll read it to you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest here it is. Listen, this is too good. Lest when you have eaten and are full, you have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. When your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through this great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought you water, water for you out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then... After experiencing all of that with God, then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Whatever you have in this world, it came from God. If you count yourself among the wealthy elite, it came from God. If you say, Dwayne, I struggle payday to payday, what you have came from God. And the house and the cars and the clothes and, and whatever else you count, it all came from God. So don't be arrogant. Thank God for education, for degrees, for opportunities. You know, again, I know pastors who cut their arm off to pastor a church like Doorsville. I don't know how I got here besides the grace of God. I know I'm blessed, okay? But the bottom line is, Dwayne, I didn't do it. You didn't do it. God did it. God did it. It's just incredible. All right? So we must not be arrogant or to set your hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. And you know, a few years ago, Pat, that would have made a bit of sense to us because the economy is doing really good. But when we watch our 401ks become 201ks, when, when one day, you know, you give a little bit of money for us to put in, we put a lot more money and are trying to have a nest egg one day to re, kind of retire. And preachers really don't retire. We just preach at smaller churches. Okay, but, you know, but, but, you know, have, try to have some funds. And, and I watched what, what I had. We lost a full third, didn't we? We had somewhere like one hundred twenty or $30,000 in our account. And we watched it go all the way down to eighty. I mean, it's just gone. Now it makes sense to us. Wealth is fluid. Wealth is fluid. So, so he says, don't put your hope in uncertain wealth, okay, but on God. And you like this verse who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. See, that's what's cool about this. God doesn't say you've got to live in poverty. He doesn't say you've got to be one of those monk people, you know, and you gruel in the morning, and you stand around and groan all day long. Um, you know, and the only thing you have is one robe and another robe to wash. He didn't say that at all. God has given us all things to richly enjoy. Okay? I'm a gadget guy. I would so you say God gave me my iPhone 5. 
right, to richly enjoy. But he did not give me an iPhone 5 to worship. He didn't give me a house at 217 West Poplar Street to worship. He did not give me the car I have to worship. Those are tools he's given me to use and to enjoy, but not to worship. And the danger is, is that as believers, we tend to worship what is not worthy or should not be worthy of our worship and fail to worship the one who is, and that's God. So we've got to be very, very, very careful. He gives these things to enjoy, but we must not worship them. Instruct them, and here it is, to do good. God has placed you in America, and this is great for world hunger. God has given you place in America to give you opportunities as believers in Jesus Christ. He's put the things that you have in your hands to do good. That's just what the Word of God says. And only that, to be rich in good works. And only that, to be generous and willing to share. And by the way, in a smaller group, do you believe I really said what I said this morning? When I watched you guys come forward and give your money, I did. If there's one thing I love about Dorsville Baptist Church, is the generosity of God's people. Guys, I'm telling you, wow, wow. Thank you for being faithful to God and being generous to God. I think if I was doing a checklist to be generous, willing to share, check. There's some things we got to work on. You know, some other things. But I really honestly believe that our people give generously and I thank God for it. And because of that, we are storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. Over in in Matthew in chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Instruct them to set a reserve, a nest egg, but it's beyond this world. Somehow, in God's economy, you can take it with you. You can take it. Can't explain it all there is to you, but somehow there's an economy in heaven that you can take it with you. And in the process of that, you take hold of life that is real. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And somehow, when we live this kind of life, when we live the kind of life where, where we run from what's evil and pursue what's good, when we run the kind of life when we have a great confession, um, when we get, take the charge to live a faithful life here, when we worship the only one true God, and, 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 and we are not arrogant in what we've earned, and, and we have our hope not on riches but on God, when all that happens, it results in the real life. The, the, as I said again, take hold of life that is real. Somehow, there's pleasure in that that Walmart can't provide and, and, and gadgets can't provide and things can't provide. But God gives it when we live as we should live in this world. It's pretty incredible. And here's the deal. I used to... I don't, I don't eat as much pecan pie as I used to. Maybe y'all aren't cooking them enough. As a matter of fact, did you notice that Brent said, y'all bring good desserts? 
I'm not sure what he meant by that. <laughs> I'm not saying there, I don't know if there's any bad desserts or not, but when he said good desserts, I said, well, most all desserts are good. There's no doubt. But you know, I remember telling, I remember using a sermon illustration one time of trying to tell y'all, it, you know, I think pecan pie, a, a well-made pecan pie, it is like the epitome of, of decadence in food. I mean, you put that thing in your mouth, and you know, and, and it kind of squishes around, because you don't want it too jellyfied. You want it just right, you know. And, and, and all of a sudden, the sugar, the, the syrups and all that just explodes in your mouth. And then you get a hold of a nut, and you bite that, and you get kind of a salty, different taste. And you've got this salty going on, and the sugar going on. And then, if that's not enough, then you get the crust. And if it's the right kind of crust, it's kind of crunchy, flaky, and it explodes. And all these explosions are going on in your mouth. But then I realized that no matter how I try to explain it, you'll never know unless you taste it. The life that is real, no matter who the preacher is, until you want to say, okay, God, I want to taste it, it's then that you experience it. It's then you experience it. Psalms, I want to say 34, probably wrong. Oh, taste and see. Taste and see. Would you bow your heads right there? Isn't God good? He's so wonderful. He's so wonderful. What a way to close out a day. And I pray tonight as we leave, I don't know how many days are... And by the way, what I, what I said tonight is very appropriate in light of the event coming up on the second Tuesday in, in November. But it must not stop then. This is just everyday stuff for us. It may give us a target to shoot at and a reason to shoot you know, for holy living, for right living, for rejecting evil, for being a good witness, to lead people to Christ. And those, those, are, those are things to shoot for. But it goes way beyond that. So as we leave this place tonight, I don't know what God's got in store for us tomorrow. Uh, we'll find out when we get there tomorrow, if, you know, if, as He wills. But let's remember what was said tonight. We serve an awesome God. And He calls us to live differently in this world. And he's put us in a position to live differently that his kingdom might be impacted in ways we never imagined. Now, Father, you really are incredible. And I thank you and praise you for your word tonight. Thank you for Timothy. Father, he was a faithful, faithful servant of yours. Thank you for Paul who poured his life into Timothy to help him be the believer, and the pastor that he became. I thank you, Father, that when I read the Word of God, when we read the Word of God, for most of us, it's like it was printed yesterday. This may have been written 2,000 years ago, but it's just so applicable in our lives, and we want to thank you for that. Now, Lord, if there's some areas that we need to deal with, if we are arrogant and we have a tendency to believe it's ours and we did it, Speak to our hearts about that, please, tonight. Father, if, if we don't understand just how blessed we are, Lord, show us that so we may give you honor and glory and praise and thanksgiving for all that you have done for us. And Father, as we have experienced this life that's so real, may we hunger for more. May we hunger for more. In Jesus we pray in your precious name. Amen.